The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, he is the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he had said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. And when he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, Leslie, for reading our passage. For those who are new with us or visiting with us or joining us online for the first time, my name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's really a treat to share from John 13 with you today. The title of my sermon is Pain and Purpose, but before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever been confused by what's happening around you? Maybe you're thinking, that's me right now. That's okay. Have you ever been confused by what's happening around you? Now, what I tell you right now shouldn't surprise you. Why? Because it happened during the last year, which was bonkers, right? Because of COVID, especially if you were in school. Now, a little extra grace is required, okay, Andrew? Okay, Trinity? Because this is about Blaze. 
You see, this past spring, our son Blaze was in ninth grade, and he was invited to try out for the varsity soccer team, Bryce. Now, for anyone knows, who knows Blaze, our middle child, he's a little crazy, a lot of heart, and uh, he actually hates to run when told to run, even in any sport he plays. We came to discover this fact about running in another sport, basketball, where over and over again they had to run 17s or 17 down and backs in less than a minute as a team. Now, if you don't get that, you do what? You do it again. So he has told us he's going to quit basketball. Why? Because he has to run. Well, you might imagine our surprise when Blaze asked if he could try out for the varsity soccer team. Why? Well, because they run a lot. When pressed, Blaze, why do you want to try out for the soccer team? He said, Dad, two reasons. First, to hang out with my friends. Okay, they're trying out? Sure, that's a legit reason. And he said, second, Dad, they told me they only have 10-minute halves. As a ninth grader, he, he really said this. Um, well, guess what? Blaze went ahead and tried out for the team, and he made the team. And more than just making the team, he was made a starting striker on this team. Now, Blaze has not consistently played soccer like Bryce or others in our church, so he didn't know what was going on. So in the first game, Blaze said, Dad, I'm going to give it my all. And so he ran, and he ran, and he ran like a lightning rod across the field, his half of the field, for 10 minutes. And uh, after a while, he just started looking around, and there was no scoreboard at this new complex in North Mount Pleasant, and he looked at us confused, bewildered, wondering what is going on. When are they going to blow this whistle? Why aren't we taking a break? Blaze, noticeably confused, kept playing and playing, however, until they finally blew the whistle at what mark, Bryce? 45 minutes. And they said, you know what? Teams, you get a 10-minute half, right? You get a 10-minute break here at the halftime, and Blaze's eyes nearly exploded out of his head. <laughs> See, turns out varsity soccer teams not only play one 45-minute period, they play 90 minutes. He thought there was two 10-minute halves. Poor little guy was so confused. He's not so little. I think he's grown. Have you seen him this summer? Like a Sorensen, he's up to 6'2 now, believe it or not. Now, to his credit, he finished out the year with the soccer team. And you know what? The older people on the team were encouraging him. This was a true story. I did not make it up. Here's a picture of their team after this last season. You can see the joy in their faces. Now, the reason I share this story is because in life, including our faith journeys, we sometimes get confused, don't we? Or things don't go the way we expect them to go. What's happening, we ask? Why is this happening, we ask? And sometimes we even take these questions to a deeper place and maybe say, God, if you were good, why is it happening to me now? And that's why today's passage is 
It's so important. You see, in it we see utter confusion on the part of the disciples as they try to make sense of what Jesus tells them. In it, like Blaze, we see a group of friends wondering what the heck they have signed up for. And in it, we see Jesus share something that will profoundly change the course of history. So let's dive in. Dr. B, are you ready? Dr. Brian, you ready? All right, here's our big idea from John 13 today. In the mystery of God's sovereign plan, pain and loss reveal God's purpose for you and me. In the mystery of God's sovereign plan, pain and loss reveal God's purpose for you and me. So let's unpack this through two points. Point one, pain and loss are part of God's sovereign plan. Our passage begins, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I've chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens So when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. And truly I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, listen, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now, for those who missed last week's sermon, allow me to provide a backdrop or some background information on our text. At the end of John 12, Jesus finishes his public discourses. And then he shifts in John 13 into this place called the upper room. It's a lodging place set aside for Jesus and his disciples so he can spend his remaining hours with them, unbeknownst to them, before he's crucified. And uh, they spend that time enjoying the Passover meal together. And then earlier in John 13, if you were here last week, you heard about this. Jesus does the unthinkable. What does he do? He takes the posture of a slave. He strips down to his inner garments and he washes his disciples' feet. And Jesus had done this knowing that in less than 24 hours, he would be crucified. He would be hanging on a cross, taking on their sin and the sin of the world to extend God's justice and mercy in this incredible act to set us all free. So this setting, this scene of John 13, would have been the most intimate moment the disciples had ever shared with Jesus. Just let that sink in. It would have been the most intimate moment they had ever shared with Jesus. And it's here, in this place, that Jesus shares these jolting words. One of you, as predicted by the scriptures of old, will betray me. Just imagine the silence and the confusion and the anger that would have filled that room. It must have been gut-wrenching to hear. Well, in our passage and in that place, Jesus not only shares the facts of the betrayal, he then expresses the feelings that accompany betrayal. 
We read in verse 21 that Jesus becomes, quote, troubled in his spirit. Another translation says he became visibly upset. In other words, Jesus in all of his humanity felt deep, deep pain. Now this is not the first time this exact phrase is used in reference to Jesus in the Gospel of John. No, the first time we see it used is in John 11, where we read that a carrying Jesus goes and sees a weeping Mary over the loss of her brother, Lazarus. And we read there, this is exact phrase. It's translated a little differently, but it's the exact phrase in the original language. We read, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And then what do we read next in John 11? You got it. Jesus wept. So it's in that same tender and painful way that Jesus shares with his disciples in our passage that one of them is going to betray him. So why is this important? Well, it's important because we're invited to see that if Jesus felt pain as the very Son of God fulfilling the sovereign plan of God, it's understandable that we too will experience pain. When that friend leaves us, we will feel pain. Sorry, it keeps hitting my beard. When that friend leaves us, we'll we'll experience pain. When that sister or brother in Christ turns on us, we will feel pain. When that spouse walks out on us, we will feel pain. When that loved one departs from us, we will feel pain. Yet, have you ever noticed what we're tempted to think When we feel pain, we're tempted to think, God, have you abandoned me? We're tempted to think, God, do you not care for me? Right? But if we look at the context here, this intimate context, and look at the words of Jesus in our passage, the opposite is true. Jesus cares for you. And Jesus cares for me. This leads us to point two. Pain and loss reveal God's purpose for you and me. Now, what I'm about to tell you, some of you know, some of you don't know, but earlier this summer, Carly's doctor found a small mass growing in, on one of her ovaries. She'd been experiencing some pain in that area, and through x-rays and an examination, they found what they called a tumor. Now, I've got to tell you, I've walked with people through a lot in life, but this news caught me off guard. I mean, it really shook me. You see, I preach about grace, but Carly is grace in the flesh to me. Into our family. She's always pouring herself out for us, always encouraging me, always praying for me. And for the first time in my life, I had the flash of a life without her. And phew, again, it shook me. Thankfully, in consulting with people like Dr. Heather here in the front row, and just over a week ago, She had this mass removed, and it looks like she's in the clear. 
right? Sure, she's in some pain, but we expect and are told it's going to be a full recovery. And I share this story because most of our adult lives, Carly and I have been in ministry running around caring for others. Yet through this surgery, the Lord has activated our amazing church to run in and care for us. Text after text after text have come in, encouragement after encouragement after encouragement, and we've been provided more food in the last week than ever in the history of humanity. We could feed a village. I think my favorite story from the last week involves a story of hearing how I was here at work preparing this sermon, but our own Kathy Amendolia, I'm going to embarrass her, Kathy Amendolia, she tried to secretly and anonymously make a chocolate cake, ring our doorbell, and run from our house, <laughs> only to get caught in the process dropping off this gift for us. Thanks, Kathy. But seriously, our family is so grateful for your love. Thank you for your prayers and love for us. Now let's return to our passage. This love is exactly what Jesus talks about in the rest of John 13. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, when pain strikes, we can either harden our hearts and move away from relationship, or we can soften our hearts and move towards relationship. And here we read, with all of this glorification language, that Jesus not only softens his heart, but goes on to sacrifice his life for you and me. And in so doing, revealing the very character or glory of God. Furthermore, Jesus then gives his disciples, quote, a new command, which is revolutionary. Now, this command to love God is not new for the people of God, per se, because it was included in the Mosaic Covenant, right? In Deuteronomy 6 and elsewhere. Additionally, to love others is not something new. It was also part of of the old covenant we read about in Leviticus 19 and other places, to love your neighbor as yourself. What is new, catch this, what is new and radical or revolutionary is this. It's all about modeling after Jesus himself in how we love. We read how Jesus gave his life for us in Philippians 2, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing 
By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, that's the model of love we're to display, Ari. That's the well from which we are to draw our actions. Moreover, catch this, the other new part of this command to love, according to Jesus, is the very direction of this love. Did you catch it? I give you a new command, Jesus says. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to be fully, wholly, wholeheartedly, excuse me, and continually devoted, not just to me, but to one another. Let me put it bluntly. Just as I love the church, my people, I want you to love the church. I want you to serve one another as I've served you. I want you to show grace to one another just as I've shown extravagant grace to you. And this love is not meant to be simple lip service or dutiful living. It's meant to be rich and deep and lasting. The word love here comes from this Greek word, you've heard it before, I'm sure, agape. It can be translated heart, which is why one theologian translates our passage like this. I am giving you a fresh command. Have a heart for one another. Out of the resource of my heart for you, like that, have a heart for one another. Here's the way everyone out there will know that you have been discipled to me, the way you have a heart for one another. And this leads to the paradox of pain within the sovereign plan of God. You see, if we allow pain and loss to soften our hearts and move us closer to one another through the love of Jesus, our collective witness will be unmistakable. By this, everyone will then know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, Jesus doesn't say if you individually go and serve in random but good nonprofits. He doesn't say if you individually go and evangelize your neighborhood. He doesn't say if you individually go and post a scripture every day on your social media account. He doesn't, in, he doesn't say uh, if we have the best building as a church or the best music as a church or the best preaching as a church or even the best student space. No, Jesus says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What? If you love one another. I love how theologian F.D. Bruner summarizes this. The mutually lived out heart love of Christians for one another will be the single greatest missionary force in the world. Do you believe that? This, friends, is our calling. This is our purpose. You see, in the mystery of God's sovereign plan, pain and loss reveal God's purpose for you and me. So in closing, I, I believe our passage is calling us to Embrace at least two responses. First, soften. Soften. 
Have you experienced pain that has caused you to harden your heart towards God or even one another? Maybe it was betrayal. Maybe it was abandonment. Maybe it was loss. And maybe you were tempted to shut your heart off. Today, would you let the Lord do a work in you and soften your heart once again? Understanding that Jesus doesn't divorce himself from our pain, he actually enters it and he took it on. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. No matter what place you're in, he loves you today. Would you invite him to soften your heart? And then second, share. Share the love of Christ, especially towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. And catch this, especially when they don't deserve it. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So as we close in prayer, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal a person or two he wants you to love today or this week. Maybe it's the last person you want to love, but God's calling you to love today or this week. Maybe it's through a text. Maybe it's through a phone call. Maybe it's through an apology. Maybe it's through a coffee. Maybe it's through inviting them to your table to break bread this week. Will you dare to share the love of Jesus in a revolutionary way this week? Mike, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Andrew, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Pam, everyone will know you're my disciple if you love one another. Would we dare to share and live in such a way as this? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that calls us to not turn from you, but turn towards you. We invite you to soften our hearts, those places where we're calloused. Would you soften our hearts right now, those places of betrayal, loss, abandonment, confusion, soften our hearts, draw us closer to you. May we see your love right now. May we feel your love. May your love shape us and change us. Be balm to us right now, Lord. And God, right now, we, we pray that you would not only soften our hearts, but you would help us to share our hearts, our love with our brothers and sisters. In the silence of the moment right now, through your Holy Spirit, would you reveal to each person here today who you're calling us to love? Holy Spirit, would you show us how you want us to love these people? Give us the courage to love like you, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray.